I have a friend named Cheryl. I met her about three years ago at the first assignment um, that I was ever placed at. Cheryl was a fallen away Catholic that I only met because we went to the same gym. Cheryl was a quirky woman who had her fair share of eccentricities. Cheryl also had cancer. When I met her, she was in remission. She came to the gym trying to regain strength that her disease had robbed her of after the latest round of treatment. She was someone who often had to fight to do things that I took for granted. Cheryl would show up and give her best effort as if she was any other person in the gym who didn't have cancer. Cheryl also had worked on an ambulance at one point in her life, so we used to talk about that since we had shared work experience. But that was really the extent of our friendship. When Cheryl got sick again, I offered to give her the sacrament of the anointing of the sick before a major surgery she was going to have. As far as I knew, Cheryl hadn't been to church with any frequency for a few years at the time that I met her. She never felt much connection with her faith. In her own words, she knew Jesus not as a loving savior, only as a wrathful God. After that particular surgery, Cheryl moved back to North Carolina to recuperate at her parents' home. We lost touch, I got transferred, and hadn't really given her much thought. That was until about 10 days ago. See, the internet in the office has been switched over from one service to another, and for a day or so, we had to work from home because we had no phone or internet. So while I was working from home, an email came in with no context whatsoever, but it had been forwarded from our, uh, one of our administrative assistants, Jane, and it said this, call Cheryl, she's terminal. And then it gave a phone number. I had no idea who Cheryl was or what I could do for her. I am not a cancer doctor. I am a priest that sometimes prays for healing for people, but didn't even want to suggest that before knowing much more information about who and what I was going to be dealing with. I was terrified, to be honest, because as I looked at the phone number, I saw that it was an area code from Hampton Roads and, and things started to fall back into place. I hadn't spoken to Cheryl in probably three years. She didn't ask for me to call either. Someone else did. That was clear. Would she even want to talk to me? More importantly, could I say anything to help? Would I make things worse by calling out of the blue and interjecting myself into someone's life who hadn't asked for it? So I prayed to the Holy Spirit and I dialed the number. She answered, and after she figured out who I was, was surprised to hear my voice. As I said, she was not the one who had asked for the call, but admittedly, she was very happy to hear from me. I was so afraid of what to say, afraid to say the wrong thing, that it took me five minutes to realize that she was carrying the entire conversation, and all I was saying was, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Turns out that she just needed someone to talk to because she had just been told by doctors that she had a cancerous tumor blocking her bowels. Because of her specific cancer, she cannot have surgery, and every other option is no longer a possibility. 
She told me that she was going to be placed on hospice the next day. And sometime in the next two weeks, Cheryl will starve to death. The blockage in her bowels means that she can't receive any nutrients from anything they give her. The only thing they can do is feed her more and more morphine until it no longer works. And she will starve to death at the age of 40. Listening to Cheryl calmly talk of her impending doom, she said something that shook me to the core. She said, you know, Father Dan, my faith has been healed through this. Why do I need my body? She told me that after I had given her the anointing of the sick, three years prior, it had woken something in her. She started to experience more from the Lord and go back to church. And in her own words, she told me that she was not afraid. She told me literally the line of our gospel at the end today. She said, I am not afraid because I'm going home. The gospel ends this way. Jesus says, I have come so they might have life and have it more abundantly. Cheryl knows that's true. Do you? Do I? Cheryl's faith has been resurrected through tragedy over the last couple of years. Her prognosis has only gone back and forth between terrible and bleak. And through this, her faith has been healed. A resurrection in the face of tragedy. Now this is a multifaceted homily, because have you ever looked at this strange thing behind me since Easter came? It is that day. Congratulations. We're going to uh, go over the icon today. Now this is supposed to represent the moment after Christ's death on the cross. He goes down and breaks, I'm sorry, he descends to the dead, breaks the gates of hell, and that's what these things are right here. These door-looking things are the gates of hell that are now broken open. The two people he is holding on to, one is Adam on this side, and this is Eve. You may remember Adam was also in our last icon at the foot of the cross as the skull and crossbones. This is the next moment after that moment. In the place where the father has prepared, I'm sorry, the place that the father has had prepared for Adam and Eve since the beginning of time, he is now welcoming them into because the debt to death was paid by the blood of Christ. But let's go a little deeper into the icon. Its light, you can see, is emanating from behind Christ. That's what these rays all out here are. You'll see they have no source other than Christ. This means that he is light from light, God from God, true light from true light. Now, you know the thing, I messed it up, but you know what it's supposed to say. Ooh, I had a Bible moment. Anyway, all right. So it shows that he has no source other than himself. He is the light. He has not been created by any other thing. And therefore, he is God. Normally, you might see his, his uh, cape flowing upward, but now it's flowing out to show that he is, in fact, descending down to the realm of the dead. 
The gates of hell, as I said, are under his feet because they shall not prevail against his church. These other things that you notice down here, these less visible things, they are keys, they are locks, they are nails, padlocks of various types, and they are all open because they show that the gates of hell will never prevail, nor will they be locked again. And if you look deeply, if your eyes are good, keen, keen eyes, you've eaten your carrots, you will see there is a body wrapped under the gates of hell, right here. Head, feet, bound. Who is this? Except death himself. That is the grim reaper. He has no more power, for Christ has conquered death by death. Behind them, we have Abel on this side with his shepherd's crook. Over here, we have Solomon, King Solomon and King David from the Old Testament. Behind him, we have John the Baptist showing the link between Jesus and all of the Old Testament. There's also a living apostle, or a few living apostles on this side, showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything he told them. And sometimes, not in our particular icon, but in sometimes you will see above Jesus, there will be angels with all of the instruments of torture that afflicted our Lord during his passion. Now I chose this day to talk about the icon because our second reading says this, if you are patient when you suffer, it is a grace. It also says that we are called to suffer because Jesus suffered for us. So we are called to suffer with him. That is why he describes the way as a narrow sheep gate in the gospel. It's hard for many sheep to get through a small gate, just as it is hard for most of humanity to see the value of suffering in our lives. We don't suffer because God loves our pain. We suffer because the world is broken and sin exists. Now, please do not confuse what I just said. I said we suffer because sin exists. I did not say we suffer as a result of God punishing us because we choose to sin. The difference is that we make bad choices and that negatively affects the world we live in. Not God punishing us because we did bad things. Babies to geriatrics understand that suffering exists. To be human is to share in some way in suffering that just comes from existing. At least with Jesus, our suffering can mean something. We can use it for the benefit of others. When we suffer, we offer it to God on behalf of those who need our prayers. We offer it because sometimes it's the only thing we have to offer. We offer it to console the heart of Jesus on the cross, not because he loves suffering and delights when humans suffer, but we offer it to him to say, Jesus, I know you suffered on the cross, and I know that when I come to Mass, your sacrifice is made present again so that I know I can talk to you in the moment that you are on the cross. And so, Lord, I offer you the suffering I am experiencing, maybe in this moment or maybe just in this season of life, so that your heart might be comforted and you would have compassion with me. Compassion meaning to suffer with. Bringing joy to the suffering heart of Jesus as we suffer with him. For our own benefit, or for the conversion of those we love, <clears throat> this 
is why the church values bodily suffering. As Cheryl slowly dies over the next few days, she will suffer greatly. I will be praying for her. And I invite you to as well. I cannot imagine being in her position, but the way she spoke of it was serene. I hope she is able to offer her suffering for those she loves or even those she may hate. And I pray that you never experience suffering like that in your life or anyone you love. But do know that even the smallest suffering can be offered as a gift and a prayer to the Lord. Without Jesus, suffering is cruel. But with Jesus, suffering can at least be useful. Suffering is an experience shared by all humanity. By his wounds, we have the opportunity for salvation. Allow him to heal your wounds too.